You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey Scott, I have a pitch. We make a Ghostbuster sequel set 35 years after the original. We can even have a cameo from the four original guys. Oh, you mean a cameo from the three original guys? No, we can get CGI Ghost of Harold Ramis in there. Okay, I have some notes. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies as suggested by you. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, And of course, joined by a very special guest. Uh, Welcome back to the show, uh, Glenna Showalter. Hello, Glenna. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Uh, You're it's been so long since we've podcasted together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not even 24 hours. Because, uh, of course, Glenna is uh, one of the cast members on Quantum Kickflip, uh, a Slug Blaster actual play podcast here on the Alberta Podcast Network. Uh, just off the top, actually, Glenna, is there anything like notable going on with Quantum Kickflip? That maybe folks might Anything check notable? In on? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, funny you mentioned that. Uh, we actually just dropped the very first episode of our second season. Uh, you can get it where... Oh, you don't say. Yeah. Uh, we have all new crew, all new adventure, all new dimension. And it's going to be very fun. And I think people will like it a lot. It's also a very good jumping on point for new listeners. You don't have to listen to the first season at all. You can just start with the action at season two. Uh, and the game is out, which is very cool. The game that we play, the, the trade secret, we've been playing with the beta test for all the episodes of the podcast we did. And now we got the real book. Very exciting stuff. Um, but not, I don't know why I got to quantify it. It's adjacently as exciting as Ghostbusters Afterlife, uh, which we're, we're coming at today. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Halloween is upon us. So we thought uh, not not only Ghostbusters time, uh, but but uh, get Glenna in here too. So. And noted horror movie enthusiast slash scholar. Yes, that's true. I, I do have a thing for horror, so thank you for for bringing me on. Though I don't think this is a horror movie, although it yeah. has horror elements. Is this a horror movie? That's my first question. <laughs> is is it a comedy? Yes. That's probably another question. Ooh, fair. Because I would say that the first Ghostbusters is a horror comedy. Maybe more, maybe comedy first, horror second. <laughs> maybe, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> maybe. <laughs> comedy horror doesn't sound as as uh, punchy though, but yeah, definitely uh, percentage wise, more more comedy than horror. Same with the the twenty sixteen one. Mm-hmm. Um, de- uh, definitely very very comedic. Uh, also chock full of Saturday Night Live alumni. Whereas yeah, this one was this everyone's first time with this, or had folks seen it before? I watched it, when it came out an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Real fresh. Mm-hmm. This is my second tour of duty. Uh, my first. I watched it yesterday as of the recording. Um, yeah, it was fun. Uh, 
don't know how you guys felt about it, but I, I was, there's a couple moments that made me smile, and that's really all you can hope for. Other ones that made me feel other things, but overall, smiles. I, I think this is a fascinating movie, and, and not, not necessarily because the movie itself is so interesting, but because of everything that kind of orbits Ghostbusters, you know, these mm-hmm. days, like just trying, like unpacking um, the appropriate way to build a sequel after 35 years, I think is a really interesting thing to explore uh, how, you know, you, you have this sort of like weird relationship with this, the franchise itself, where the franchise kind of had a reboot and then now they've got this sequel and all the um, sort of, uh, unpleasantness that kind of came along with that and yeah. uh, you know it's just the Ghostbusters franchise is, is a bit of a mess but also like uh, weirdly I feel like uh, a, a snapshot in time that we may look back on and just sort of like <laughs> look back and I'm like this is where we were socially you know like you can point right yeah. to Ghostbusters 2016 and like here's what the problems what a, we were experiencing right then it's <laughs> sort of what a problem this movie what, yeah what a luxury <laughs> one of the many what problems. a luxury it was to <laughs> to have strong opinions one way or another on the gender of the Ghostbusters yeah. in 2016 that's what was top of everyone's mind uh Donald Trump not a thing covid not a thing <laughs> yeah yeah <weird>. yeah <laughs> Can girls be Ghostbusters? Anyone really can be believe they can, or I really believe they can't. <laughs> I I would argue that anyone can be a Ghostbusters, and yes, that actually <laughs> that actually people. <laughs> well, no, but that uh, like that's uh, that's part of my thesis coming into this movie as well, actually. But uh, we that that might be getting into into stuff that I find problematic about the film, so. Let's let's continue love festing for a bit. Uh, the yeah, movie I is fine. It's good. <laughs> this movie, it's it's fine. But here's the thing: it's fine the way that like the Force Awakens is fine in mm-hmm. that it's a nostalgic retread of the original movie. Yeah, and I that didn't dawn on me until I was writing my letterboxed review of it when I went, "Oh, this is to Ghostbusters what the Force Awakens is to A New Hope." Yeah. Yeah, right right down to going like to almost duplicating the third act. Yeah. Uh I was just curious like can we take the temperature on everyone's in terms of like uh how they how they feel about the Ghostbusters <laughs> franchise writ large like where it is where is it in the pantheon of of franchises for you? Glenna, can I? Um, yeah, no. Uh I mean I've seen I think I've seen technically all the Ghostbusters films now. Uh, all the ones that exist and they're fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't have a super strong attachment to the originals, uh, nor do I have a super strong attachment to the, to the remakes and the, the sequels. Um, so I feel fine about the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I definitely like the first Ghostbusters movie. Um, the second one is not objectionable. It's definitely weaker. Um, the weird thing is, though, when I was growing up, the, the my first real exposure to Ghostbusters was actually probably the real Ghostbusters cartoon. And that's where I knew the characters from primarily. And I saw the movie a little later because in my upbringing, my parents wouldn't let me watch a movie that had like bad words and, and sex jokes and scary monsters in it. Um, <laughs> uh, so it wasn't until a little later that I saw the original movie. I liked it when I saw it, but it really was the cartoon that was my first exposure. And I don't know if that makes me a weird outlier or if that's actually pretty common for like my age group 
growing yeah. up in the 80s and 90s. And I'm, the real Ghostbusters cartoon was awesome. Like, it was cool. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a fun cartoon. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure I was scared of the Ghostbuster movie. Um, yeah, the, the you know, the, the dogs, I think, freaked me out. Uh, so uh, I, I was definitely... Uh, too young to uh, appreciate uh, the uh, the original Ghostbusters movie, and then of course was really into the the cartoons like Scott. Later on, I, I think um, uh, this I don't know may sound stupid, but I, like it's kind of like one of those movies that I consider to be a perfect movie. Um, and um, but when I say that, I mean perfect for me, not necessarily <laughs> perfect for uh, for cinema. It you know it's just. It's almost like every time I watch the original Ghostbuster movie, I pull uh, something new out of it. So, like there's, like it's it's kind of a, a pretty rich film and like subtle jokes, and I feel like it's just lightning in a bottle. That sort of they managed to create this really, really keenly. Uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. It's a tight movie. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's just a very, very tight movie. Like, I'm not sure that it was even done. It was even purposeful uh, from a writing standpoint. I think famously the original script to the Ghostbusters was not great. Um, But yeah, it's just like a confluence of like the performances and uh, the, the, um, you know, great, uh, uh, God damn it. (laughs) I'm losing it here. You're getting teary-eyed talking about how much you love Ghostbusters. <laughs> I was just trying to think really of like... touching him. Everyone just, can see in the Discord chat, you're, you, you've got your hanky out. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I just love it. And like the, I love the, I love the idea of like these, these schlubs who are just, you know, they're, they're kind of like in, in a way they're kind of like detestable characters in some ways, but they're also like having, you know, having to save the world. And that's, yeah, that's obviously the big setup for the joke. Right. Um, and that really pays off throughout the movie. So yeah, I love yeah, the- it. I, I, I love the franchise as a whole. I, you know, when I, um, we were talking earlier today in the chat about like the, the third or the, uh, the spiritual sequel to Ghostbusters, like Ghostbusters three being the, the video game, which was really great. Um, yeah, and then, like I I did, I liked the uh 2016 uh Ghostbusters. Although the the my only issue with that movie is that um the the Paul Feig style is to have a whole bunch of uh improv, which is wonderful the first time you watch it, but tends to have like diminishing returns on subsequent viewings. I've seen Ghostbusters 2016 three times now, I think, and I I, I think my my um, adoration for it is, is dropped significantly uh, on subsequent viewings, unfortunately. But it, you know, it was when I saw it in theaters, I was like, "Hey, this is great!" And the the um, the production design in the 2016 Ghostbusters, I felt was top notch. I loved the way that yeah. the proton packs looked. I love I loved the new version of Ecto One. Everything was really cool looking, uh, and much the same here in in the in Ghostbusters Afterlife. I really kind of enjoyed the the the. Uh, production design and um the 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 weathered old aging equipment um you know that really it works well with the ghostbuster gear because it it already looks <laughs> it already looks like it's just held together with gum and tape which is kind of the cool thing about it so yeah yeah just a pretty big fan obviously maybe i don't know mm-hmm. arguably the maybe i'm the biggest <laughs> one here say. on the uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, it, it's interesting to hear you sort of fawn over it and two other maybe more tepid responses because I, I love this question coming off the tail of Scott comparing it to um, Force Awakens because uh, to, to me it was it, I love the movie uh, but I kind of like 
got into it around the time I was getting into comedy. And so I like it very much. It is a very good movie, the original and the 2016 one, strictly as a comedy, as like something that's Saturday Night Live adjacent. It's something that's, you know, both, both, uh, um, movies have, have SNL cast in it. Um, so for me, it's, it's a comedy more than anything. It's one of the best comedies, but it's, it's, it's not Star Wars in that sort of like, oh, reverence, like, it, it's hits different for me. I, I, I come at it strictly as a, as a comedy. Uh, also, maybe that's because I don't like ghost discourse really doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> I really strongly don't believe in like I have a hard time with ghost horror movies because um, it's a it's a well, I don't believe in ghosts and it just I can't get past that when I see ghost stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, well, of course, yeah, Paul Feig, uh, the name uh, synonymous with the last one, but this one. Back to business with the Reitmans. Uh, this was directed by Jason Reitman, uh, written by Gil Keenan and Jason Reitman, uh, obviously based on Ghostbusters uh, 1984. Of course, starring Carrie Coon, Paul Rudd, McKenna Grace, Finn Wolfhard, and Logan Kim. Um, and uh, yeah, produced obviously by uh, Papa Reitman. Uh, Dan Aykroyd makes an appearance, friend of the podcast, Dan Aykroyd, now in three movies we've done. Um, <laughs> uh, Evolution, the the uh, uh, unspoken Ghostbusters sequel, and uh, the, the film that shall not be named, Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Possibly worst movie we've done on this podcast. Yep. Yep. So... Um, yeah, let's let's get into it because there's there's lots uh, about this, but we want to make sure our audience is caught up. So let's go to the trailer. There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. New York in the 80s, it's like The Walking Dead. Your dad never mentioned this to you? It's just my mom. My grandfather died. My mom says we're just here to pick through the rubble of his life. The dead speak through lamps and games of chess. Short on cash and evicted from their city apartment, Phoebe's family takes refuge at a derelict farm owned by her recently deceased grandfather. This is no ordinary farm, it seems, as there is a strange presence that roams the grounds. Also, there's all this old Ghostbusters stuff lying around. As Phoebe and her newfound friends begin to unravel the mystery of Spook Farm and the nearby Evo Shandor Mines, they discover the world is on the verge of a psychic disturbance of biblical proportions. And just when all hope seems lost somehow spengler returns now i i, I don't know if we should we start with the most controversial bit of this film and get that out of the way I, <laughs> the last bit the part from the pitch 
Yes. Yeah. In, <laughs> this is very in, silly. Because <laughs> I want to, I want to say that like this is it's like I'm I'm really of two minds of it because I really don't like that they're bringing back dad actors. I don't think that's okay. Um, it's I think it's I think it's ethically tacky. dubious. Uh, yeah, tacky at best, <laughs> uh, maybe morally wrong at worst. You know, um, you know, there's no way for someone to give their consent to be in a film, and it doesn't seem right. And I I remember you know feeling like when I was watching it the the first time, you know, being a little trepidatious about like what what was you know where the movie was going to go at the end. Uh, what surprised me was that. You know, even though Harold Ramis's visage does return in the conclusion and probably lingers on him a little bit too much uh, than is than is maybe necessary, I did I did kind of fall for it. Like it did uh-huh. it did hit me uh, in the feels uh-huh. not and not even yeah, not even nice. just not even just the first time it got me again when I rewatched it for the show. So um, I. I I feel like they did it in terms of like how um, the character of Egon comes back it's, uh, and taking Harold Ramis out of it. Like that kind of worked for me. I felt that was, you know, it was, I, f- I felt like they, they did a nice job of um, as, as a longtime fan of the, of the franchise, like um, giving, you know, fans like a, a nice goodbye to the character. You know, um, it you know it was kind of it was kind of sweet, even though I mean the the um, there could probably be improvements to the lead up to it, but that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, this movie in in many ways is very much a goodbye to Harold Ramis, and that's I, like no. I can see that that's what they're doing. <laughs> I I disagree. It, like really? at the end, it says for Harold, and I'm like, is it is it for Harold or is it for dollars? Um, <laughs> Like, wow. don't tell me this oh, was for hair. Like, I just... <laughs> wow. It, it, I, I don't... It, they could have done it, like... And, and I'm, maybe I'm splitting hairs here, but there's... I'm going to split two hairs. For Harold, to me, is different than, like, in memory of Harold or just, like, an acknowledgement to him in the credits or, like, a, a little... But, like, to say it was like, oh, this is for him seemed, like, okay to me. Maybe that's just because that comes after all the other stuff before, which left a bad taste in my mouth. You're right about it lingering on him. I I think like force ghost wave and then be move on. Uh, in fact, I was really excited when so much of the movie is him interacting invisibly, moving the chess pieces, whatever. I'm like that that there that's how you do it. That's the solution to the Peter Cushing and you know dead actor problem is you just imply it. And so I thought it was very tasteless when he fully shows up. And they made an action figure of Ghost Harold Ramis. So don't tell me it's. There's some sort of tasteful... No. It's all the way gross. It's slimy. It's like a big slimer of icky feelings for me. Glenna? Yeah. Uh, again, I... I think, yeah, I appreciated the, the invisible um, interactions that the character had. The, the sort of face in shadow uh, off the top. I thought that was good. Um I, I got to admit when I when I saw his like when they panned up and I saw his ghost hands like helping Phoebe's ha- uh, human hands I was like aw that's nice so um, but I think uh, we all can agree the the lingering is probably the the most egregious part and it, well because I thought they were gonna 
do the same thing that they did at the beginning of like not showing his face and then they fully mm-hmm. showed his face and I was like oh I guess we're doing that oh we're going there mm-hmm. <laughs> if speaking of going there this did inspire my pitch for the 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 dead actor when we get to the era where all TV is animated actors I want a Bob Ross show where it's CGI Bob Ross the likeness of him doing a painting and the painting he's doing is like a dolly mini ai generated art (laughs) Uh, and it's just sort of you visualize the process of a dolly mini making the visualized art through an animated bob ross painting you know happy little trees and stuff uh that's that's i feel like the best case scenario from from tupac hologram to a fully ai bob ross joy of painting show well and you know sorry no, go I'm ahead, bringing go ahead, it go back to the movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please think, do. Like ethics aside, the the lingering also led to the problem of like he didn't talk, and I understand why he didn't talk. But from a narrative perspective, it was weird that he didn't say anything to to his daughter that he had clearly followed the life of and cared about very deeply and had one chance to speak to her. Because uh, ghosts can talk, that's been established in the canon. Yep. So, like, by virtue of having him there for long enough to talk, and the fact that he didn't, was narratively odd, even though I know why they did it. Yeah. yeah. Fair point. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've, I felt the, the same way about that. I think I think what the, ling- the, the worst part of the lingering for me is just, like, from from a like a story structure standpoint like there there's this moment where Venkman, Stance and Winston are all getting like this long look at uh Spangler uh shooting a proton pack with them and they're suddenly all together like that only works because people are familiar with the franchise and if, if this was the first movie that anyone was watching of Ghostbusters, that moment would seem really weird because those characters haven't been in the entire movie with the exception of Ray, who was only in it briefly. So like, there's no, like we get the, the emotional uh, connection to it because of, you know, real world experiences or whatever. Um, uh, But as, as in the, within the story, that doesn't really work. Now you can argue, I suppose, yeah. that like it doesn't matter. Like the well, the I, fact I, that they're drawing off of real world experiences is totally fair to mm-hmm. thing to do. And if it works, it works. Um, and if people feel emotional about it, they they feel emotional about it, and that's a win. Um, but yeah, if like you're evaluating it just on plot alone, it doesn't. That's the part that uh, that feels like a little egregious to me. Well, it's also egregious because what you're describing isn't just the last scene. It's like a good third of the movie is drawing on you knowing what this is supposed to be and what this is supposed to mean. And if you'd never seen it before, you might be like, why am I supposed to care? And I think that's the part that kind of, I liked the overall the plot, the characters. I'd love to get into the characters. Um, they're great. They're all fleshed out. But the, the, what I kept me from fully engaging with this movie is all of the fawning from, from ghost trap to Bill Murray. Um, all of this like reverent fawning over these artifacts and, and characters and, and places, it barely worked for The Force Awakens. And 
this ain't no millennium falcon it's a it's a comedy movie from the 80s can you imagine if any other comedy movie from the 80s did that like oh it's the canned air from Spaceballs. oh oh wow i can't believe it's the it's the greased up sled from christmas vacation it's back oh it's been in the crash it's the people from porkies oh (laughs) oh can you like it's doesn't it doesn't in my mind it doesn't track like it doesn't I, I, I love the Ghostbusters, but at no point am I going to, like, fall over myself because she dug a dug a ghost trap out of the cellar. I, f- I feel like it would have been more interesting to see her, like, figure out what that was than get caught up to something we all know through a YouTube video. Um, the Here's the funny thing for me. I was taken out of the movie by the first hurdle. Um, And I don't know that the movie ever quite got me back. And that first hurdle was Egon Spangler, the most asexual Ghostbuster, had a kid with someone. That that premise alone made me go, I'm sorry, you've lost me, movie. Please work hard to get me back. Because, Because Egon is the most sexless character in the franchise. And he is aggressively hit on by Janine um, throughout all of those movies uh, or the, I should say the other two movies. And the fact that he then went on to have a different relationship with someone else that was consensual and he had a kid out of it, that all actually broke my credulity because it, it strained what I knew about the character (laughs) and the movie had to work hard to bring me back. And I mean, thank goodness Phoebe's very likable in the film. Um, because like her and podcast are the standout stars of this, of this movie. Um, because that, that did eventually kind of win me back, but like the family drama stuff, spoiler alert, I'm dumping, I'm dumping in my version of this movie. Um, (laughs) and, and it's partly because I don't buy that Egon had a kid. Sure. (laughs) I could buy that Venkman had a kid. I could buy that Venkman has a lot of kids. Uh, I could buy that Winston has a kid. I could buy that Ray has a kid. Ray is uh, straining it a little bit, but uh, but Egon having a kid actually is making me go, ooh, okay, okay weird choice sure. movie. Weird out-of-character choice movie, but all right. Yeah, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see how you work that uh, in, the, in the fixes, because uh, I just feel like the, the familial ties in the movie are like, like, I mean, it's the entire engine of the movie mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. And like, it's the one, it's the one thing Doesn't that kind of works for me. Doesn't need to be. And I'll tell you why I'll tell you why right now. I'm going to, I'm just going to say it. Anyone can be a ghostbuster. It uh. doesn't have to be in the blood. It shouldn't be in the blood. And the, the idea that it had to be Egon's like descendant who was able to defeat Gozer this time flies in the face of that, that any Winston is the proof that anyone can pick up a proton pack and blast a ghost. It didn't need to be Egon's daughter and Egon's granddaughter and grandson. And it could have just been some random kids from the town, which ties back to the original Ghostbusters of being, as you said, succinctly at the beginning of this podcast, Greg, are the right people in the wrong place at the right time to save the world, much to their own chagrin. It could have just been four kids from the town who find out about the weird hermit just died. Go check out his stuff and discover that he was a ghostbuster. There's your movie. It doesn't need to have the family tie and the family drama. Not only doesn't really amount to much is kind of ham fisted and, and, and weird 
and also like takes away from opportunities for this movie to have more goofs in it because it's because it's trying to be so heavy with this with this family drama see i kind of that's kind of what i like about it uh i kind of like i kind of like that this is a jason reitman movie Like it's not, it's not a Ghostbusters movie. It's like, it's, you know, and, and I, I appreciate that, uh, they're taking a different tone with it. Um, I know that's a, it's a fairly common complaint that like, oh, this is in a comedy and, and this is, it's the, uh, the comedy isn't coming from the same place. It's not in the spirit of Ghostbusters. And it's like, well, that's a, for, to me, like, that's okay. It's like, you know, it's like, it justifies its existence by, taking a much different angle from it um you know it, you may argue that they've just basically stolen stranger things but i don't know if like if it works it works so that's what they've done uh yeah it does have uh, stranger things vibes and, and like super eight kind of a um science was another one i was thinking of and yeah i'm i i'm okay that it's not a slimy goofy improv comedy uh even though that's what i liked about the 2016 one i like that <laughs> the jokes come from the characters um, some of the dialogue, I was like really impressed. I'm like, this is snappy dialogue. I, I, I quite like it. Um, so yeah, I didn't mind the tone or the, the comedy coming from a different place at all. That's yeah. I like that part. That's yeah. fine. I still don't think you need the family drama. I think, yeah. I think you yeah. could have done this without making it, without implying that it had to be in the blood. You can pass the torch without it having to be a legacy character. Right. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Um, I think I guess just for me, I like I just kind of like liked how that sort of played out. I I I liked I I like the idea of like that that the the Ghostbusters sort of like had this f- um, big falling out with one another. It, that creates a sort of like an air of mystery of like what you know what happened to them you know um, and we don't really get uh, a whole lot of answers to that nor do we need to. It does it's it's not the the point of the film, but. Um, you know, in, in some ways it kind of, you know, it can like that not saying things expressly can kind of add a little bit of depth to your film because it allows, you know, the audience to sort of fill in the blanks themselves. I also, I also kind of enjoyed, um, the, uh, the idea that, uh, Egon was out on his own trying to, trying to save the world, uh, you know, and, and it kind of maybe had, it's implied it maybe had a little bit of a, like a, a mental breakdown, uh, in doing so, you know, and like, I, 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 I like those ideas. Um, I don't know that they were, um, executed upon, um, particularly well. Um, but you know, that's at least that, you know, the ideas were there. I feel like we've been doing a lot of talking and Glenna, our guest hasn't said anything <laughs> in a while. So I, I kind of want to pitch back over to Glenna. Sure. Uh, so the main thing, my main takeaway about this movie that uh, really soured me, not soured me on it. I don't think that's fair to say, because I did like, I did like quite a bit of it. Um, it had this essence of a modern movie, um, you know, even the cinematography and the pacing and the family drama, that's all very modern. That's all very 2020s. But at the same time, it had all of the the silliness from the 80s movie, the, oh my God, the Walmart scene was ridiculous <laughs> and completely out of place. And like whether it made you laugh or not, it just it it came in out of left field and was completely asynchronous with what the movie was trying to do up until that point. And then it was trying to have its cake and eat it too, eat it too, and be yeah. like this very much like Stranger Things, reveling in the nostalgia of the eighties. Um, 
while trying to maintain a modern sensibility. And that's where it really fell apart for me. Yeah, you're 100% correct that like the wheels for me started to fall off right at that Walmart scene. And it does feel like a, a fairly large speed bump. Uh, you know, because up until up until then, I was pretty on board with everything that was going on. I I really loved the uh, ghost chase scene with Act One, just like mm-hmm. plowing through small town mm-hmm. Alberta, blowing up signs and you know benches and mail posts and things like that. Like that was really cool and fun. And like the 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 gunner seat idea was cool. I like the you know I, I even like the uh, the remote control trap. Like all these really neat little tech ideas. Um, you know, that's part of like the Ghostbusters ethos, right? And and it was fun watching the kids get to experience that. And um, yeah, I really liked all that. And then we get to this Walmart scene where um, it's mm-hmm. like, it's really, really cartoony. Like those, like the, the marshmallow mans that come out of the marshmallow packets, like I think the special effects in this movie are largely quite good, but these ones feel like they're like straight out of like a Pixar film. Like they don't, it doesn't oh, the, feel within universe in this particular I movie. Yeah, the animation of them it. wasn't my issue. What's that? I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I hated it. I hated the, what they the did to the Stay Puft Marshmallow so- Man organic in the first one where it's like think of nothing and he's like i accidentally thought of something like there's just no way you can do that again love that the 2016 reboot didn't try it was just like we'll just do a big ghost kind of visually the same thing but it's its own it's you can't you can't get you can't the do the same of uh, let's not get into like the big ghost being that they got attacked by their own logo because i really really hated that <laughs> well okay anyway that's we're not talking about that movie anyway. but um yeah it the whole thing seemed very ham-fisted and the quality of the little guys was well, not and- the most egregious part of and that. and turning the rampaging kaiju stay puffed marshmallow man into a bunch of adorable little marketable scamps like mm-hmm. like so that we can sell them to oh. the kids like baby yoda i let's hate give, it let's I give the rightman some credit what if to their best of their abilities they're like look the studio is going to want us to make baby marshmallow guys the studio is going to want us to do some product placement Studio, like, let's just do it all in one scene and rip it off like a bandaid. Everyone's gonna hate that scene, but there'll be pretty good movie on either side of it. And they just they tried not to spread it out too much. I, I think it might have been okay if it wasn't for the fact that like the only thing that's happening in that Walmart is the marshmallows. Like, well, like no, that, that should be up. Vince Clortho is also there, uh, and Vince Clortho is there. The other, the other dog monster. There's oh well, yeah, he, show, he shows up right at the Zool end. But and like Vince Clortho, I, I, I mean, what I, what I mean is like that's sort of like that should be your sort of montage of like uh, that should be in with the rest of like the town experiencing all these yes. ghosts, right? So if you had more different different types of ghosts, well, in also, that in the Walmart, then you wouldn't have to, you wouldn't, it wouldn't feel like the marshmallows are so out of place. Also, Paul Rudd is the only person in that Walmart. Yeah. You hear some yeah. ADR person <laughs> scream off camera at one point, but there is literally, literally no other people in that Walmart, which is so weird. Like, that's another thing that made that made no sense to me in the scene is that you don't see little marshmallows attacking other people or people running yeah. in terror from Vince Clortho rampaging through the dog food aisle. Like, there's, it feel, it feels there's like so much wrong with it? that scene. It does it feel like, like a reshoot. They were like, look, we need to have baby marshmallows and Walmart wants to give us some money. So just, we need to, d- just go film it in a Walmart. Close it also, down. We got Walmart for an hour. Also, yeah, we need something for the trailer. We need some marshmallow mans for the trailer because right. people are going to want that that hit of nostalgia. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which ironically made when I remember seeing that trailer, that in the trailer and thinking like, ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this is good. <laughs> I hated it. Um, there's there's a lot in this movie that feels weirdly disconnected, though, mm-hmm. because there was a point where Nita actually lost the plot while we were watching it because um, Gary Gruberson uh, drives Phoebe and podcast back to the farmhouse and then Phoebe and podcast are in her room and she uh, starts taking some readings on her on her ghost meter and podcast is reading a book and Gary and Callie are have a conversation in the dining room and then Phoebe goes outside by herself wearing different clothes podcast is never referenced again but Gary and Callie are still having the same conversation in the kitchen and Nita was like was there just a time skip like is this later what happened like she mm. she literally lost the plot at that point and was like I don't know what's happening anymore because it there was a sloppy edit there or something and podcast doesn't show back up until like the next day what happened to him did he leave why did Phoebe change clothes why were why were Paul Rudd and Carrie Coon still having the same conversation in the dining room like it it actually seemed like a really sloppy cut that the movie just kind of hopes you don't notice because it gets into Egon's lab immediately following yeah. and there's all this nostalgia. Yeah. I, I didn't notice there's, it. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it it actually like it took Nita out of the movie enough that she asked me to pause it to see if I was following <laughs> what was happening. Yeah, that's there's a couple there's a couple weird editing things where you can see it's not like necessarily bad editing, but you can see the seams of them trying to fix stuff after a focus group. Because yeah. the fact that J.K. Simmons is in this movie for six seconds with no dialogue <laughs> oh, he, suggests that he, he has like one line. Yeah, yeah. It, he, it feels like something got cut there. Yeah, he was very much in this movie and is not anymore. But they couldn't cut the coffin out of the scene, um, which sucks. Because I, I actually quite, as in terms of connecting it to the old one, I quite like the idea that the guy who built the skyscraper in the first one is the guy who built the mines in this one. That felt like the, of all the connections to the old one, that felt the most organic to me. I actually, they created an interesting occult mythos for the original Ghostbusters and them continuing to explore the uh, Ivo Shandor Gozer mythos, I thought was cool. I actually yeah. liked getting a little more texture to that. I wish it wasn't just mostly a third act retread of the first one, but uh, but I do like that they actually did try to explore it a little more. There's also I, there's also like some like odd mistakes, like really easy things to clean up that didn't occur. Like for example, in the scene with that uh, when Annie Potts has her cameo, right before she arrives, um, Carrie Coon is telling her kids or revealing to her kids that they're going to stay for a while. And then when Annie Potts shows up and tells them that like the farm is worthless and there's you know a bunch of debt. Uh, she then says, uh, I'm just here to sell the silverware and leave with a rent check. Uh, and you're telling me this place is worthless? And it's like, well, which is it? Are you staying or are you like taking silverware and bolting? The the one that I noticed was that at the very end of the movie, when the movie just keeps going and going, and uh, Winston drives Ecto-1 back to New York and then pulls it up into the abandoned fire station, which earlier in the movie Ray had said was turned into a Starbucks? <laughs> that one will forgive a little bit just because it's an end credit scene and they don't like they don't really matter as much. But yeah, like it's like yeah, they had they had a joke in there that they wanted to keep and they didn't care that it didn't line up with whatever they were doing in the in with the, the with the weird sequence. nostalgic dump that they filmed for the end credit scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a five lines of dialogue in this movie 
that took me on a real journey. Um, <laughs> Take us I, on that journey with you. Um, the scene where uh, he, she's she's ta- Phoebe is talking with Paul Rudd uh, about uh, the seismic waves because he's a, he's a seismologist, and she goes, he's like, she, he's like, yeah, I triangulated the thing, but I can't place it. She says, uh, did you use three points? He goes, yeah, I know how a triangle works. Okay, I thought you were just being obtuse. And then winks. <laughs> and I'm like, I love this. I love this joke and this wink. Uh, and then Paul Rudd goes, did you just make a geometry joke? And I lost it because I hate when movies do that. It's <laughs> my least favorite thing. If you don't get jokes, that's your fault for being dumb. It's the, one of the privileges of being a smart person is you get to get comedy. And I hate when movies explain it. <laughs> and th- so, and I said that out loud over her line, which I had to go back and read. She goes, yeah, that's why I winked. And it immediately redeemed it because I've never seen a movie then call itself out on the bullshit thing all movies do because they're afraid to alienate their audience. It was – I had to watch it twice because I, I couldn't not commentate immediately after he said that. <laughs> um, but then he goes like, I hate it. I love it. I hate it or something like that. Like acknowledges like, oh, puns are bad. And I hate pun scolding. So it went from like – I love this joke. I hate Paul Rudd's response. I love her response to Paul Rudd's response. I hate his <laughs> response to the response. It was very strange, but Took at least you on a he didn't journey. just explain the joke and walk away. So points for that. Speaking of Paul Rudd, his character really drops off in the second act. Like in the first act, he's he's almost got too much to do. He's the one who's like, there's a mystery going on with all these weird earthquakes in the middle of nowhere. He's the one who's like, I'm a big Ghostbusters fan. How do you not know about the Ghostbusters? Let's open up the trap. And then in the second movie, he's just like, I want to date your mom now. <laughs> and then he's possessed by Vince Clortho for the third act. Like he really drops off in this movie. And the the tragedy of that to me is that I thought he was a really neat character up front, and then he just stops doing things. Do you think it, think of it the other way? Imagine, since this is such a retread of the first one, imagine if they just gave Rick Moranis more to do in the first one, and then in the third act, he, he fucks and turns into a dog. Yeah, um, fair enough. So less of like they give him Paul Red less to do and more to give the uh, uh, the not Gru, what's the what's the name of the. Zool, Gruel, the the There's dog. Zool, Zool and Vince Zool. Clortho. Zool. So give it basically gave Zool more to do in the first two acts. So yeah. I was gonna say, speaking of jokes, uh, which mm-hmm. is funny that you said speaking of Paul Rudd, I was like, oh, I'll go in the other direction. Um, I actually loved that thread. I thought it was endearing. I thought it was really sweet. And can I just gush about Phoebe for a bit? Because yeah, absolutely, uh, I love her. I think she was an excellent character. Just like. The fact that she was rewiring the house in the very first scene we met her is told us everything we needed to know about her. Um, the fact that she's an awkward kid and, you know, probably implied that she's on the spectrum, depending on how you interpret, I don't experience emotions like other people do, which was an, mm-hmm. an interesting line. But I also think she was still very capable. She was still very smart. She still had friends. She still had relationships. And she had this... Besides uh, grabbing the proton pack and threatening the cop with it, which I thought was a weird move, um, I felt like she was just very... Uh, what grounded the movie was Phoebe for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's I think grounded far the away characters the around her, uh, too. Like, she... I love her. I bought her relationship with the mom, and the mom character was stronger for it. I bought her relationship with podcast. Podcast character was stronger for it. Um, yeah, she steals the show... Yeah, she is. She is the protagonist of this movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
You wouldn't know it from the marketing, but she's definitely the protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I like, I, I, you know, it's it's kind of fun for me as someone who grew up with Ghostbusters, like, you know, like, they, it, your kind of experience, you know, like, the, she's, a ch- you know, a kid who's experiencing uh, Ghostbusters and learning all about it, and that's, like, I've gone through that, too. I've gone through that, you know, so it's, it was fun to experience the Ghostbusters through the through the, a kid's eyes again, and that's, that was the fun part of it for me. Well, the kids, the kids really are us. Like they're, Mm -hmm. they're us as a kid wanting to be able to, to suit up and strap on a proton pack and blast a ghost and they're doing it as kids. And we get to kind of experience that vicariously through them. And so I, I see why, why that decision was made. It's definitely a weird nostalgia decision, but I see why that decision was made, why it was decided that this new generation of Ghostbusters would start out at the very least as kids. Right. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I, uh, I suspect we'll be seeing more of Finn Wolfhard in lots more movies. Uh, I doubt and also hope that none of them are comedies because he's the, he's the only one with no comedic timing in this movie. Which is so weird the, because he's the Peter Venkman of the movie, right? Yeah. Like, maybe, maybe he's more the, yeah. Like, like Phoebe's the Egon, podcast mm-hmm. is the Ray. So that means that he's playing the Venkman because the girl that he's chasing is the Winston, right? Is that just because she's black, though? Is that why you're saying that? And also because that's kind of the way she's positioned in the movie. Well, yeah, because she's—I guess she's the one that comes comes along into the ghost busting the at the at the last minute, uh, which isn't too terribly different from from uh, from Winston. Yeah, like I'm not—I'm not saying that she's the Winston analog because she's black. I'm saying the movie made her the Winston analog because she's black. Okay, yeah, no, I'll take that. Um, and every time people got all congratulatory about the 2016 one, you know, and I do think representation matters and important and I like that one a lot, but I was like, yeah, girls can be ghostbusters, but they'd still have a token black one. So it's like, we don't really like, yeah, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, oh, it's we've only a come weird, so far. We've only yeah. come so far. And even, even in this fourth one, there's still gotta be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, he's not a perfect Venkman analog in that he's kind of the dumb mechanics guy. And not to say that people who are mechanics are dumb. That's not what I mean. But I mean, like, he's he's sort of like the, the dumb older brother who doesn't understand all the science stuff. Um, and his skill is in fixing Ecto-1, um, which is not necessarily not Bankman's deal. Yeah. Yeah, maybe other than Phoebe, maybe there aren't, they aren't really analogs. Um, maybe well, there's also the, the least definitely the character that's least a character. Like he doesn't, he yeah. doesn't really have much to do. Um, I mean, he kind of, he could lift right out of the film if he, if you wanted him to. Um, I, I do feel like they're not one to one, but like I see where they're being positioned in the new foursome. Like that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming yeah. from with that. Yeah, sure. I think that's that's somewhat fair. He's the, he's the one that's chasing after the girl, right? And that's was yeah. Venkman's thing yeah on a, on a very superficial level yeah you can you can see how they were trying to like position everyone the only one well, and- that that makes a, makes is like I would argue that Phoebe's the one that makes a, has a real um a parallel right and that's and that's actually deeply unfair to the character because again Phoebe is the best character in this movie yeah followed mm-hmm. probably by podcast yeah in my and it, again best character in the movie Amongst a bu- a, a movie with great characters, like in spite of this movie having a lot of the trappings of modern blockbusters and a lot of the needless nostalgia bait trailer nonsense, 
the I was so surprised by the characterization and the dialogue in this flick. They're so tight. The mom, like the uh, the mom's dialogue, like her just sort of sardonic. Like I truly believed she was jaded and didn't give a fuck in a way that most jaded sardonic characters don't. Um, yeah, Paul Red's likable. Yeah, the characters were my my favorite part of this whole thing. Also, Gozer <laughs> looks rad, right? Like I'm not the only one who thought that was that yeah. Gozer looked rad, right? <laughs> Yeah, like for for what in the original '80s Ghostbusters was kind of a goofy look, like they turned it up to eleven, and Gozer looked rad. <laughs> yeah, the whole production design from from Gozer to to the rest of it looked very sweet. Um, but let's uh, let's get to our fixes here after we hear from our friends at the Alberta Podcast Network. This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Life as a business owner can be hectic, to say the least. Alberta Blue Cross understands that. They offer flexible health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Even better, you can let your staff enroll and manage their coverage at any time on any device. That makes life easier for them and for you. You've got this when it comes to group coverage for your small business. And Alberta Blue Cross has got your back. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're talking Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, The thing I like about our discussion in the first half is we all liked and disliked different things. It really... Maybe it's just because I'm looking at us all in in a chat window uh, divided by four, but I really feel like on a if we're we're all different points on a spectrum of like what was good and what was bad. Um, so I'm excited to hear our fixes. Yeah, I, I want to just reiterate, and I, I'm sure I said this off the top. The movie's fine. Like, yeah. I feel like I've dumped on it a lot in the first half, but overall, I enjoyed the film. Like, it wasn't Same. bad. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'd like to start then with that because I don't necessarily have fixes for this one. More of a, a thought experiment on how maybe this movie could be tighter um, if it weren't so hung up on fawning over what is essentially a goofy 80s comedy. Uh, the way we were asked to fawn over the lightsabers in Force Awakens. <clears throat> Imagine this whole movie without the Ghostbusters. My pitch isn't don't make it a Ghostbusters movie. That'd be absurd. Um, but just imagine it if it wasn't about this legacy of the Ghostbusters. Family inherits a creepy old farm, gifted daughter, estranged uh, grandfather. Everyone in town hates the grandfather. Granddaughter tries everything she can to learn about it. No one wants to tell her, so she's got to use her wits and her smarts to not just move some floorboard pieces in a puzzle to pull out a thing, but what is this thing? Uh, the scene where Paul Rudd shows her a YouTube clip of the old video is maybe a scene of her and Paul Rudd figuring out what that thing is genuinely. Um, instead of calling Dan Aykroyd for a, an exposition dump on what happened to the Ghostbusters, while she's in jail, she figures out some key detail about selenium. Uh, fig- you know, oh, it's the same stuff in the mine as this this weird old... Um, skyscraper my grandfather was disgraced at oh geez okay uh and then play the same third act plays out the same way and it's just there's no and then obviously the ghostbusters don't show up at the end uh she figures it out maybe with the help of a ghost grandpa um and it plays like any other general audience science fiction family adventure it would work just fine 
Um, and so I'm not saying you take the Ghostbusters out. I'm just saying all of those elements that would have made a movie work without the Ghostbusters should have been considered and then add a little Ghostbusters for flavor. Um, make it, you know, uh, but, but the movie is so, spends so much time being like showing us things we already know. Like, so Phoebe's figuring it out, but we all know it. Paul Rudd knows it. Um, so there's no real like mystery for her to solve along with us. Um, and instead, and so not only is that a, a, a bummer that we don't get that, but what we get instead of that is, because, oh, dusty jumpsuits. Oh, she found the dusty jumpsuits that they all wear. Oh, yeah. Um, as cool as it was to see the Ecto-1, could have done that in the back of an old pickup truck. Would have worked the same. Right? Um, so that's, again, it's not necessarily my fix, but it's just, I feel like those sort of thoughts would have added more. And instead we got nipple rubbing nostalgia bait and I, it distracted me from an otherwise <laughs> serviceable movie. Well, I, I already went out and uh, shot my, my fix at the, be- <laughs> at the beginning of the, the podcast when I said, I want to pull out Egon's family legacy. And I, and I still think that you can throw out Egon's family legacy. And part of the reason for that is because I really do feel like it should be a movie about how anyone can be a ghostbuster. And so my big upfront fix is, they don't, it's not Egon's family. They don't inherit the farmhouse. They're just four kids who are local kids. They know about the weird dirt farmer hermit. He dies and podcast is going, we're going to go check out that house because there could be bodies buried in the in the barn. Like the guy was an old hermit. He was up to something. We're going to go check it out. Drags along his friend Phoebe. They discover that he was Egon Spangler. They discover that he was a Ghostbuster. And from there, they begin to unravel this mystery that brought him there and that broke up the Ghostbusters. And there you go. Like, there's your initial incident. It does You don't need the family drama there. And you could still have a touching family story between her and her mom and her brother because she is the odd kid. She's the weird one. And they don't believe in her. And then slowly she wins over her brother, who becomes the third Ghostbuster. And then by the end, she's won over her mother. And now, like, they believe in her. They they don't think she's the weird one. She was on to something. She was right. And she's yeah. capable. And she can be a Ghostbuster. And she can save the world. So you still have the family, the, the touching family story there. And you can still have the passing of the torch without them having to have been Egon's family. Because, again, that took me right out of the movie. <laughs> It, yeah, I have one I other like, fix too. Oh, I want to uh, just touch on what you said there. What I love sure, about yeah. that too is it kind of recontextualizes her then making her one phone call in jail to the Ghostbusters hotline. Because mm-hmm. if she she's like, I don't, no one, no one's gonna help me with this. No one knows anything about what's going on. Nobody cares. Well, you know who might care is this guy's old friends. Yeah. This weird guy, we've dug up all this information, and it would completely recontextualize the phone call to Dan Aykroyd in a way that was actually kind of like, especially the other, if when the when the policeman's like, "Who you gonna call?" That's what makes her like her light bulb go off. It's like, "Who you gonna?" Of course, I'll call that guy. <laughs> yeah, and and you can have uh, you can have Ray be like basically the same, but then it becomes less a plea from like from Egon's progeny. And more just a plea from someone who needs help. And yeah. to have him and and Venkman and uh, Zedmore show back up and help again, like, that's a little bit of redemption for them, too, right? And Egon is still there helping her as a ghost. He's just not her grandpa. 
<laughs> like, yeah. so there's still the passing of the baton, right? I yeah, think yeah. I I like I like that change, and I like how that because again, the kids are supposed to be us vicariously, and so it should be a story about how anyone can be a Ghostbuster. You just you just need to pick up a proton pack and go bust some ghosts. Anyone can save the world. Anyone could be the wrong, the right people in the wrong place at the right time to save the world. I like that. Mm-hmm. Also, podcast should have been the one who knew about the Ghostbusters. <laughs> he's the he's the weird guy who's into the paranormal and into the occult and into the conspiracy theories. Gruberson shouldn't have been the big Ghostbusters fan. Podcast should have been. That seems like a huge missed opportunity right off the top. Yeah. Yeah, they even they even say it in the movie when Paul Red's like, You don't know about the Ghostbusters? I thought you of all people would know about the Ghostbusters. He should have. He should have been the one to know about the Ghost. Yeah. Like the weird thing is he knows about the, the Shandor stuff. He knows about the Gozer stuff. <laughs> when they're it's in almost, the mine yeah, maybe the other way around. In the mine, yeah. he's the one talking about like, Oh, I know all these incidents, but he doesn't know about the Ghostbusters fighting and then, fighting ghosts in New York in the eighties. And if you flip him like I'm saying, if you have podcasts know about the Ghostbusters, have Paul Rudd know about Selenium and we like weird earth stuff because he's a seismologist yeah. so it'd be like oh the old mine what's well, a selenium mine owned Perfect. by this shandor guy the guy who owned the um skyscraper podcast goes the skyscraper from the ghostbusters yeah that's sick yeah you just it's it's such a it's such an obvious flip yeah <laughs> yeah instead of using paul Rudd as some sort of weird swiss army knife um yeah, I think it works. I think the other thing it would you could kind of do it would it would actually position Paul Rudd to uh, be uh, the audience audience's surrogate for the townsfolk who don't like uh, Egon, right? Who thought he was just like kind of like a kooky old dirt farmer that didn't care about anyone or whatever. They they just seem to have like this. There's no resolution to that in the in the movie, yeah. right? Like the the t- like the townspeople don't like him, but we don't we don't get any sort of like redemption in the town, the townspeople's eyes. But if Paul Rudd is the avatar for the town's uh, hatred of, of Egon, then you can get uh, a resolution at the end when, uh, uh, you know, Paul Rudd learns what he's been doing. So maybe Paul Rudd is like a, uh, maybe he owns a farm next to, uh, Egon's farm or that his family owned a farm. And then, and through, uh, Egon's various science experiments and things like that um, sort of like somewhat ruined their family business, something like that. Something to add some some meat to that relationship. The the interesting thing is with my change as well, that, that could be blown out to include Phoebe's mom because my version is that they're just locals, right? Mm-hmm. So like there's no reason why Phoebe's mom couldn't also know about the dirt farmer and hate him. And part of the redemption there also comes from her accepting Phoebe because Phoebe is like Egon. Even though, again, in my version, she's not his granddaughter. (laughs) Sorry, the thing I like about them not being locals is like there's kind of like a little bit of a fish out of water uh, element to it. So when they're coming into the town, they don't really understand what's going on. you know they they they're confused by the quakes you know and that like and so the audience experiences the weird quakes through them uh rather than through uh locals who have presumably been experiencing these for years kind of thing so i don't know uh, I, I, the quakes could have also been starting recently sure 
but I think I like in, in there a, is a fix around that. Yeah, I think the um, the movie implies that like I guess it, I guess it doesn't really matter, but like the movie yeah, implies, the movie definitely like, implies it's been going on a while. Yeah, yeah, and also that he had been he had set up like um, proton packs to he was causing those earthquakes because that's they were keeping back all the demons, right? Glenna? Uh, so I don't know if this is a fix. This is just a different direction, I think. Because something that is a common criticism of the original Ghostbusters is that the EPA guy was right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. (laughs) That they are being dangerous, that they do need regulation, that it is could have unknown environmental disaster. So what if that's the spirit that you make this movie in? (laughs) That the EPA guy was right. And some big ecological disaster has taken place because the Ghostbusters were unregulated. And now the next generation has to deal with it. They were just dumping all of these ghost traps the way we just like poorly uh, handle um, nuclear like runoff Mm -hmm. and like toxic waste. Like it was buried under it. I I actually just visited some family in Port Hope and I found learned that the the whole town, whole chunks of that part of of Ontario along the uh, uh, Lake Ontario, full of the ground has all sorts of radiation in it. Because they didn't know there was a, a nuclear power plant there, contributed to the Manhattan Project, which I didn't know, and they were just dumping dumping this stuff all up and down the coast uh, of, or not the coast, but the 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 banks of the the uh, Lake Ontario. So yeah, maybe it is like these these Reagan era idiots were just dumping these ghost canisters in a hole in the mine. In, and in, in, you can bring back the mine that way inadvertently cause a paranormal catastrophe mm-hmm, <laughs> years later that the next generation has to deal with. Yeah. I love that. Glenna. That's yeah. it. That's, that's <laughs> actually, it does. The only downside to that is we're trying to make a heartfelt nostalgic movie about the ghostbusters <laughs> and that, and your movie really positions them as the villains. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> that's why I said it's a different direction for sure. Um, I, uh, yeah. I do like the I do I mean like the original Ghostbusters movie is definitely like it's a right wing movie mm-hmm. so like I love that you would get, I love that you want to like hey let's make a left wing answer to it I think that's great <laughs> yeah a rebuttal that like and maybe the and we can still have the nostalgia where it's like hey look maybe everything back in the day wasn't all peachy keen maybe we don't need to be hanging on to you know SNL movies from the eighties with all of our hearts and minds and how you know <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. and it's not an SNL movie but like. It, yeah, that the you know it, it came out of a very gross era in American history, um, and so maybe fetishizing it the way we do. I'm, I want to <laughs> I want to tug on this thread. Um, you, th- that that could explain the breakup with the Ghostbusters too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Egon, the science guy, realized what they were doing was cause was going to cause a problem, and that caused the whole group to have a falling out because the other three were like. We're making money hand over fist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there, and there's your falling out, and that's why Egon split with them. And now he's trying to stop the ecological disaster from happening in the mountain. Mm-hmm. Well, the others have all gone off to have their own careers and be rich, and except poor Ray, who's running a bookshop <laughs> <laughs> that's being propped up by Winston. But still, like, like the weird thing is that the the core plot of this movie doesn't necessarily have to change for Glenna's idea to work. It almost yeah. works better because yeah. I love the idea that they were chucking him in this mine. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, and Gozer can still come out because they fought Gozer and blasted Gozer before, right? Mm-hmm. And now you've got Gozer reconstituting out of all of the all of the ectoplasm that they were dumping in the mine. 
Yep. You'd have to have Gregory Peck show up for a big I told you so in this movie, though, right? <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Way better cameo. Way yeah. better cameo. You know, it, it, would... you know what would be wonderful about that is because, like, that actor um, used to get shit on in the 80s because he had two roles where he was just, like, this incredible prick. It yeah, was in Die Ghostbusters Hard and, and Die Hard. Yeah. And people used to treat him like garbage as if, like, you know... <laughs> He was he was actually those characters. So for him to come back and do into the film like thirty five years later and just be like, "Hey, my character was right." I think that would be great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this speaking of cameos, this this movie pulls off the rare feat of me being. I, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that that manages to make me frustrated and annoyed that Bill Murray is on screen. <laughs> Usually that's a positive, but mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, all right. Um, but <clears throat> I guess I a bit of a cop out because I didn't give a real fix. My one true fix for this movie regardless of the tone regardless of the like the goal of the plot it wasn't slimy enough there just there wasn't enough slime in this movie and it's that's definitely something the 2016 one got right and this this movie needed 50 percent more slime for a moment for a for a moment nita just about swore at this movie because she thought that the muncher was slimer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she was like did this movie put slimer in did this movie put Slimer in for no reason and she was gonna she was ready to be so angry at this movie and then it wasn't Slimer it's just something kind of akin to Slimer <laughs> and she was like alright movie d- you saved yourself at the last minute <laughs> the one area where they showed restraint <laughs> she actually thought the ectoplasm looked really fake too like she she was like of all of most of the CGI was working for her but like the weird glow on the ectoplasm yeah. that the muncher was leaving behind she was like that looks real fake <laughs> yeah i didn't understand that decision because like the like the it looks i mean it's obviously like something that wasn't in the original but like yeah the the original like one of the best parts about the original was like the, they treated the special effects very seriously like the the ghosts looked mm-hmm. menacing like say what you will about like like what slimer became in you know when he became like a this cute cartoon green ghost or whatever like but in the original design of him he was gross and threatening you know and yeah. like it you know it, it like yeah it was that whole thing was sort of played for play for laughs and stuff like that but like they took those creatures very seriously and i think that was that was the the part that i liked about it that there was like this sort of juxtaposition of these very very real like horror elements that could be in a real horror movie um, and then you've got like these wacky comedic characters and I loved how those played off of one another. Yeah. Um, horror and, like, comedy. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, um, I, I, I think CGI, uh, is not a friend to horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, uh, this is just sort of like another example of that where, you know, we're going to add like, uh, cheap CGI elements to the slime for no good reason when just a bucket of, KY or whatever they were using would have been fine. You don't have to worry yeah. about it. Well, and yeah. they do use practical effects in some places, which I I quite liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's undercut by some kind of weird floaty CGI as well, and it's yeah. just like, all right, fine. yeah, like the like the the Muncher ghost looked fine, uh, but was he Slimer level? I don't think so. Uh, you no. know, yeah. So just Gozer looked rad though. We can all agree, Gozer. Sure. Yeah. And Gozer. Yeah. I mean, Gozer was just makeup right like just a good makeup job so, oh yeah yeah uh i have one small thing um and maybe this i mean this could be a de- uh, an addition to your uh folks's fixes it, it's to add some more conflict between callie and phoebe because 
I think we like speaking of missed opportunities, as you said, Scott, like Phoebe's Egon's parallel in the, in the movie. And yet Callie's uh, upset with her father abandoning her. And she knows that like Phoebe is sort of like into the same things as her father was. He's like a big science nerd or whatever. And that's a great place for them to have that conflict. Um, you know, that she's kind of like turning out like her father, like that, you know, it's like there's sort of natural conflict there. And even when, when the movie opens and Phoebe is like playing around in their apartment building and burning out, uh, you know, fuses and stuff like that, like it just sort of happens, but like, there's no consequence to it. Like there's no conflict in the relationship to it. She's just like, oh, Phoebe, you know, you shouldn't do that kind of stuff. Whereas like, I think there'd be some real easy ways of just like having that play out throughout the movie where Callie is constantly trying to pull in the reins on on the direction that uh, that Phoebe is headed. And then, you know, at the end, they, you, you get the resolution of, oh, my father was actually trying to help. And like Phoebe was also trying to help through science kind of thing like all that sort of comes together um it's it just the way it, the way it works right now it like is the movie has written is just it's you can kind of like headcanon it i guess but it's not it's not express and i just think yeah, it's especially it's not in, in the text yeah and especially in like blockbuster filmmaking like having things expressly said is a lot is a lot better because that you know you, you want your you want your stuff you want your plot to be simple so that you can have all the have all the fun action stuff right and you know i don't know they just kind of missed that opportunity nice no i, li- <clears throat> I like that a lot i think there's definitely room for a, a a stronger familial connection in that regard if you of course believe that a familial connection is what's important. Uh, so yours, yeah, yours doesn't quite check up against Scott's, but that, that's okay. We're, we're, we're giving the old uh, Reitman family some options here. <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> in hindsight, I like Glenna's idea the best. Yeah. Sure. Well, what's yeah. great, and then, um, again, maybe I'm looking at the graph here, but Glenna's idea works with either of your guys, either um, deranged old uh, hermit not related to anyone or deranged old hermit with warring granddaughter, grand and, and daughter and granddaughter. Um, but yeah, Glennis, that's one of my favorite fixes in, in many an episode. That's brilliant. Um, but we definitely all agree that podcast should have been the Ghostbusters fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they just more, I wanted more mystery uh, that we didn't already know, less fawning and more slime. Um, we had our thoughts and you did too. Thank you to everyone who contributed uh, for listener comments on this one. Please keep an eye on our social media at I have some notes on uh, Twitter at I have some notes pod on Instagram or just look us up on Facebook. Hit us with your comments. We'll read them like we did here. There's lots of good ones here. I was like, ooh, there's lots. I don't know if I want to read them all, but they're actually like they're pretty tight. They're good ones. So we'll, we'll, we'll move through them quick. But um, I appreciate a lot of the insights you shared this time around. Uh, at Dan Broderib says, my advice for any legacy reboot, choose the protagonists and commit to them. Know whose story it is. The people who save the day should be the people we've been following all movie. Splitting the difference between legacy and new characters muddles who the story uh, is about. Yeah, or who's driving Phoebe, the story. Phoebe's the main character of this movie. But the Ghostbusters from the 1980s are the ones who save the day, arguably. Mm-hmm. And I kind of agree on that point. Like um, the movie should have committed to allowing Phoebe and her friends to save the day, as opposed to the Ghostbusters riding in at the last minute as the cavalry. It's nice to see them. Sure. There might've been a, a better way to weave them into the movie without them being the ones to show up and, and save everyone. Uh, 
I'm just going to share a thought I had just well before we go to the next one. This movie, the 2016 reboot, and the movie Evolution, which was also a Reitman joint and very Ghostbusters-y, they're like, if you take those three movies like a Venn diagram, I don't know what's in the spaces between each two, but in the middle is the original Ghostbusters. <laughs> like, each one of them has has great chunks of Ghostbusters, but but none of them are that, that one in the middle. Um, Robin from Cinematological says, Really made Alberta look beautiful and seem like we have the nicest Walmart in the world. No idea what else happened in the movie. It's ephemeral, like cinematic Pringles. Yeah, for our non-Canadian listeners, uh, yeah, this and who might not know, this movie was shot in our backyard in our in the province of Alberta. So, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of an extra joy watching some very familiar uh, fields and you know mountain vistas and things like that. Bushy82 says, sometimes you have to wonder about why a movie is being made. Is there a story to tell? Are they cashing in on nostalgia? Are they trying to correct mistakes of a previous rehash? Are they passing the baton to future movies? Yeah, the movie needs to pick a lane, and it's kind of trying to drive in all four of those, it feels like. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And that's maybe where Glenna's comment about the tonal dissonance comes in. If, you know, you're driving analogy, you're just making wild, sweeping lane changes. Like, yeah. Well, and it also speaks to something you said earlier on, Liam, where you were like, I feel like this was a nostalgia cash grab. Whereas I, on the other hand, am like, but it's kind of a touching nostalgia thing. I specifically did not say that this time. I say that about so many of these movies. (laughs) And this one I earnestly liked and just found some of the fawning over it distracting. The, The existence of Ghostbusters nostalgia was not the problem. It was the weird Millennium Falcon level reverence for props from an 80s comedy that took me out of it. I actually feel as though the nostalgia of this movie kind of saved it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cuz I feel like if you t- if you did t- take the ghostbuster element out of it then it's it, we're talking about a pretty nondescript movie for the most part, which isn't necessarily you know it's not a compliment to the movie obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, like it the having those built-in emotions kind of helped out a little. Uh, what was I going to say? Um, I don't know if this is like the one thing I didn't feel about this movie and and, and I'd be interested to see what you folks think, but like, I didn't feel like there was any sort of like commentary on the previous reboot, uh, which was nice. Like it didn't feel like this, they were trying to answer, uh, anything from the previous one. Um, no, for sure. Maybe there's maybe the studio was, um, Mm -hmm. you know, like that might've been the studio decision, but at least in the context of the movie, I didn't get a sense of that at all. Yeah, if it if it was trying to be an answer to the uh, to the 2016 Ghostbusters, you there would be like some some like pointed jabs at it, and there's yeah. none. Yeah. And they probably would have shied away from making Phoebe the main character because of the girl Ghostbusters thing, um, but they didn't do that either. So yeah, I I'd go so far as to say it, it really didn't feel like they were trying to be an answer to that movie. Just yeah. a different movie, I guess. I, I think from the, st- the studio perspective, they were certainly trying to make the movie for, you know, a person my age, you know, like like a, a male my age, be, to be more specific. Like that's like it's clear that there was there was something cynical going on there and on the studio side of things, as far as I'm or concerned. Just with like Stranger Things sensibility. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And not just because Finn Wolfhard's in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I was I was trying to when you were like they're not trying to answer this movie. I think you're right, but they there was definitely an air of don't do that again. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That I didn't appreciate. So it wasn't, you're right, it wasn't like a contradiction or an answer the way that like the new, sorry to keep comparing it to Star Wars, but the new Star Wars trilogy <laughs> was to the prequels. But it did, it, this had a big like, well, don't do that again, which is unfair to that movie. Unfair to both, frankly. Uh, Cinema Recall says, don't repeat the same plot points from the 1984 version. Oh, and they had footage from a giant marshmallow man stomped around New York in 84. Uh, and nothing from 89 when the Statue of Liberty inspired many to sing the music of Jackie Wilson. Yeah, this movie is very reverential to the original Ghostbusters film and kind of wants to not discuss the sequel in a weird way. Like, (laughs) none of it gets mentioned or referenced at all, which is kind of weird. It does does strain credulity a little bit, like the world seems to have forgotten about Ghostbusters and ghosts altogether. Like, Mm -hmm. it reminds me a little bit of uh, the first Transformer movie, where like the Transformers have an out and out war in a in a city, and then at the end, it's implied that like we're classifying everything and it'll all be fine, and nobody knows that they, there's real robots transforming robots running around. Uh-huh. It feels that way, like because like you can't you can't uh, you know the, the one thing that I would have loved to have seen is just like this sort of like idea that like you know if they were gonna do that, make a joke of it, like. Uh, have a have a moment where they're discussing like how people have seemed to have forgotten about ghosts and be like, well, you know, they never we haven't seen ghosts in in 30, 35 years. You know, maybe the Ghostbusters just sort of made them all up with, you know, lights and whatever. And then someone just goes, well, how do you explain, uh, you know, a 50 foot marshmallow man? And we're like, mm, admittedly, that's a little bit hard to explain. Just like play it off as a gag or whatever and move on. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I will say that if they're Force Awakensing the original Ghostbusters in this movie, if they do make a sequel to this movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife 2, I want the painting of Vigo back, and I want the man whose drippings Visgu back. <laughs> Just do a rehash of the second movie, too. <laughs> uh, Justin Godlin says, I love this movie, but I definitely would have added another scene or two of actual Ghostbusting. Um, you know, the yeah, funny there's... thing about that is this movie has just about as much Ghostbusting as the original movie. Yeah, the original movie has a little montage of them doing some ghost busting, implying they're doing it for a while. This one, they just kind of bust like two ghosts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this but like, a, like the the you know, it's it's only implied. Like you don't see much, you don't see a lot. You, you see them running around New York City, but you don't see a lot of like streams or anything like that. It's just yeah, fair. Mo- mostly, it's like them talking to like uh, what's his name, uh, uh, the CNN guy or whatever, things like that pop culture shit sorry Glenna, you were gonna say something i was just gonna say there were no ghost blowjobs in this one and that's nice there's a plus uh chris says i don't have any specific fix but if you're going to make a ghostbusters movie without any jokes which isn't necessarily a terrible idea in brackets uh then really embrace the supernatural weirdness so maybe this Um, should have been more of a horror movie i again i disagree that there weren't jokes i thought the dialogue was really funny and snappy i agree I don't think it was as goofy as the original Ghostbusters, but I wouldn't say that it wasn't funny. Yeah. It was a funny episode of Stranger Things. It wasn't a weak <laughs> episode of Saturday Night Live. There you go. It was a funnier E.T. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Samsonow says more Holtzman would agree. <laughs> um, 
Uh, can you imagine, like, this movie was already bordering on, like, being a huge mess. Can you imagine if they tried to, like, implement all the 2016 I, stuff, too? <laughs> you know what? I take it back. I would... Wait, okay, so the, the, the you know, uh, Bill Murray and crew show up as the cavalry. Great. And it's like, it's still not enough. And then Kristen Wiig and company show up, and they're like, we got it. Got it. Um, at that point, I would have had so little investment in the movie that I would have just loved the, like... The absurdity of it. I would... <laughs> oh, that would have been fun. Uh, Continuum Drag says, Why doesn't anybody know about ghosts in this movie? They watch YouTube footage and are surprised to learn large-scale ghost attack happened in New York a couple of times. Um, yeah, it's it's the Thanos problem. You can only, like... Well, the, the funny thing is, this actually kind of plays back into the second Ghostbusters movie. Because by Ghostbusters 2, the people of New York who were saved from a kaiju marshmallow man by the Ghostbusters and a near apocalypse are like, yeah, but what have you done for us this week? <laughs> and and that's kind of part of the joke in Ghostbusters 2. So it doesn't completely strain my credulity that like 40 years later, people would be like, eh, yeah, whatever. It happened. <laughs> We don't talk about it much anymore. I suppose there were ghosts for a while. Whatever. We've got other stuff to worry about now. <laughs> uh, at the dad movies, I uh, had a nice long comment, but sort of covered the first two thirds of it covered uh, by, by folks up above here. Um, just about how, you know, sort of stupid to open up a uh, ghost trap when by all accounts, Paul Rudd, you know what that is. Um, also would have loved to see a non-recycled plot, um, not have so much to do with Go- Gozer. Um, which is fair, but the comment I, I appreciated from the dad movies was, it hit me in all the feels and made me ball at the end. I know all the words to the original and quote it daily. It was far better than I ever expected. I really loved it. So, I Greg, mean, it sounds like you had a similar experience. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if I out and out ball, but I definitely got, I got a little teary eyed. It's like, it reminds me of like every time I watch the end of, uh, 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 Star Trek Next Generation, like every that peanut, you know, when they're playing poker, I get teary eyed every single time, and like, <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> so yeah, it's just one of those things. It's just like it hits me in in the in the feels and in the nostalgia feels too. Uh, next two comments very similar, but I lo- I love that our listeners are on this this page because I think there's meat on this bone. What about Ivan says, I would have the Ghostbusters be an established franchise with the original location being run by uh, Janine and Egon. After Egon dies, Janie. Janine? Janine. Uh, Janine. Janine. After Egon dies, Janine struggles with an inexperienced crew of Busters keeping the company running. Uh, the other three originals come back to help train and pass the torch. Uh, before we comment on that to that end, Tack had a similar thought. Uh, so I started with the goal of allowing the movie to be more irreverent, weird, and funny, and ended up with a complete rewrite where Ghostbusters Inc. has become a corporate monopoly and a group of kids start an unlicensed ghostbusting business for poor inner-city communities. The OG Ghostbusters are retired and can show up for a pep talk and hand out some gadgets. So, yeah. I. Uh, but if they're a big corporate monopoly now and some kids start up an unlicensed Ghostbusters... Y- why would the original Ghostbusters not be there to shut them down and sue them? So <laughs> again, EPA. I feel like Tack, you're you're positioning the OG Ghostbusters to be the villains, just like Glenna. <laughs> they're they're the new EPA. The way to do it. You're like you can't be doing this. Look. Oh, they became the man. They fought yeah. the man for so long, and then they became the man. Oh. <laughs> uh, and our last two comments uh, again. Going to bundle them because they're very much in the same vein. Andrew Craig says, "I really loved this one. Egon at the end was awesome." And Ryan Yates says, I wouldn't fix it because it was great and everything it needed to be. So 
Uh, I'm glad I'm glad some folks got uh, a lot out of this because there's definitely uh, something here for everyone to take away. It yeah, was, it, was I, no, I think, it was no cynical cash grab. <laughs> I, I think the best part about this movie is like there's there's so many defensible ways to read it. Um, and whether you came out on the side of like, I loved it or I hated it or I'm kind of middling on it, all of those are, are, are perfectly defensible views to have, I think. And you can, and I mean, we, we've said this, I'm sure in half of the episodes we've recorded, you can like a movie or even love a movie and still see the flaws in it and still go, you know what? We could tighten the screws on that. We could make it better. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of one of those films where it's like, at the end of the day, as much as I complained about it through this episode, I kind of liked this movie. I'd go watch it again tonight and have a good time watching it. And like, it's, it is as, as Ryan said, it was everything it needed to be. Maybe. Plus, and it's going to be something to everyone, right? So (laughs) everything it needed to be and a trip to Walmart. So (laughs) yes, there Um, was that. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Glenar, for joining us. Uh, happy Halloween. Yes, thank you for having me. Uh, enjoy the rest of October. Yeah. We're <laughs> oh, we've got another quote-unquote horror movie uh, teed up. Uh, just, just you wait. Um, one more time, Glenar, where can, uh, where can folks find uh, your work, such as Quantum Kickflip or other things? Uh, Quantum Kickflip is on the Alberta Podcast Network, just like I have some notes. Uh, you can also find us on, uh, well, pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. And... I believe we have a quantumkickflip.ca.com. Yep. And uh, the debutantes.ca as well, just for our the, the sketch group that makes Quantum Kickflip. Uh, and at Deb Sketch uh, on, on Twitter. Excellent. Well, thank you everyone for, for listening as well. Uh, you can follow us on our social media at I Have Some Notes on Twitter, at I Have Some Notes Pod on Instagram. Look us up. Uh, I Have Some Notes on Facebook. Uh, please rate and subscribe and, and just whatever little buttons your podcatcher has for you, click them, let us know you're listening and you like it. Hey, you know, I've, Ivo Shandor ran a cult for years to try to cause a Gozer apocalypse. That sounds like it might have been a conspiracy, the kind of conspiracy <laughs> that might have been covered by It's a Conspiracy, where Andrew, Charlie, and Greg, but not our Greg, lay out the beliefs behind conspiracy theories, myths, and more. You can find that podcast and many more right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Um, you know what we haven't touched on yet is is the Jaws franchise. Um, oh boy! Specifically, oh boy. we have not tackled uh, the most bonkers Jaws of them all, Jaws the Revenge. So look forward to that in two weeks. Until then, I'm your host Liam Kresic. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul, and we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. What about if we snapped? <laughs> Rather than clap. <laughs> Click our tongues. Yeah. <laughs> something. Something that's not as hot. Anyway, not worry about it for now.
Also, are you using Audacity to edit your audio? Uh, I'm using Audition because I pay for Adobe. Oh, okay. Because in Audacity, when you normalize, you don't have to normalize the whole file either. You can just select everything but the claps and normalize the rest of it. Oh, yeah. I'm dumb. Yeah, you're right. I'm just. <laughs> I could just. I'm I just trying just to think that. of other ways. Uh, I think the clicking tongue things will work just fine, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> First idea was best idea. <laughs> <laughs>